kids' church with their leaders. So thank you, children. They already left? No? Okay. This morning we're looking at the image of God, the image of God that he has implanted in us, human, his human beings, his creation. From Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27 will be our main text. Now these verses are the, the crowning moment in creation, in the creation story. When God creates man. We are still in day six of creation. The heavens and the earth have been made. The lights are on. The expanse of the heavens which contains the air that we breathe is, is, is in and the separation of the land and water. Then the fish in the sea and the birds of the air, the plants on the ground and then the animals, they go to fill in all that God has already created. There is a progression as God makes the planet ready for the apex of his creation. His most special act is about to happen. And that is mankind. It is all building up to this point, making it ready, making his house ready to put mankind in it. So we will not hurry the, the moment as we, as we delve into this, this precious and tender part of Scripture. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. As we, as we come to these verses, there is a, a sudden change in the wording. Prior to this, it's been God said, and it was so. God could easily have, have commanded the creation of man by his own word. Let man be, like he did to the animals and the plants, but he chose not to. The words here are reflective, purposeful, as if God, having created everything else, stops for a moment to consider the huge implication of creating man and woman. The one who knows beginning to end, who knows the past, the present, the future, the one who chose us before the creation of the world, he knows the precious moment, but he also knows the trail of tears that will follow, including the ultimate offering of his own son on Calvary. But he creates us anyway. It is an awesome, solemn, sacred moment, the history of the universe. And as Christians, we need to believe this. We need, we need to hold on to this truth. And, not, and note that he says, let us make man. Who is the us? The us points toward the plurality of the Godhead, the God, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And there is perfect divine 
agreement in the Godhead for this decision, for this act that is to follow. Let's look at the Imago Dei. The doctrine of the Imago Dei means, Imago Dei in Latin means the image of God. This this doctrine has been fascinating theologians for for centuries. And And the doctrine has its origin in these verses. It reveals a, a tremendous truth that draws a continuation with creation, but at the same time separate from it. This is, this is because God purposed that mankind, both man and woman, would resemble him in certain ways. They would share certain privileges quite distinct from the rest of creation. I say this because never since the Garden of Eden has something so crucial been challenged ideologically by what we are seeing today. Why is this? I think it's because when humanity looks at the mirror, it reminds them of their creator, of his stamp, his fingerprint on their lives. And they, and they seek to destroy the mirror. This is also why true believers, we, we argue against abortion, the beginning of life. We argue against euthanasia, the end of life. We argue against the sexual perversions that are trying to be normalized because of the sacredness of human life. The current battlegrounds of sexuality, of gender and marriage are going in a direction where society are starting to see the consequences but hasn't really fully measured or accepted the full consequences of what we are doing. And I'm not sure they want to. This is why for us as Christians, this doctrine of the image of God is crucial. It is essential. It is foundational. And it starts here, where we come from. If you don't start here, or you start simply with what Richard Dawkins says, the delusion of God in his book, he says, well, basically, you know, if we are simply uh, an accident of, of nature, that, that, that we're just a clump of cells that somehow rearrange together, in his thought, then there is no purpose to life, there is no meaning to life, it just is. Don't stress about it. Just enjoy it while it's here. So don't worry too much about what is right and what is wrong. Because there is no God, according to him, and therefore there is no purpose. We just... Ah. And this is exactly what a lot of people, particularly in the West, start to believe now. And you can 
look and you can see the consequences. So I'll break this into different areas so that we can look at it. Let's look at genetics, talk a little bit about genetics. Many times in chapter 1, the expression, according to their kind, appears. And this is very important, this is very crucial here, because uh, we have to affirm that, that, firstly, man is not a distant relative of primitive plant life. Yes, I like bananas. And surprisingly, I found out that I share 50% of my DNA with bananas. But just because I sometimes share the same house as bananas, I go to the shop and I buy them and they, we live in the same house together. Bananas are not my half-brothers. I'm glad you got that. Secondly, man is not a close cousin of the animals. Much has been made about our physical similarities with chimps. Much has been made of the so-called genetic similarities. They spend time and money playing these silly games to see how much a chimp can act like a human being by teaching them to do things, even simple language. They keep doing it. Uh, a few years ago, USA Today, one of the big media organisations, had this headline that read, Humans and chimpanzees share an almost identical genetic inheritance. You know, the clickbait, you click on it and then you start to read further. And the same report, the same report, as, as you, once they get you to read past the headlines, the same report said that there are it's only 40 million differences in the genetic code. Only 40 million, guys, but we're almost identical. But even if humans and chimps share 95% of the genetic code, this does not prove common human ancestry and therefore evolution. A high degree of similarities does not mean that two DNA sequences... I'll just explain a little bit about DNA and what it is. It, I, the, we have computers here at the back, and you can have a laptop, you can have your computer and all of this, but unless you power it up, but unless that computer, that hardware, has the software... It will be useless. You can use it as a doorstop, you know. You can use it to so park your car against it so it doesn't go back and forth. But apart from that, it's, it's useless. It needs the software inside to make it work. In the same way, you can have a, a human being, you can fire him up, but unless he has the, 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 the DNA inside of it, the software, it's useless. And that's exactly what the DNA sequence is. Every living thing has a DNA sequence. Plants, humans, animals. To make them work. Who put that in there? Well, God did. 
One thing fits here, the other thing fits there. The moment that sperm and an egg come together, the whole process of division takes part. DNA starts splitting cells, multiplying into billions and trillions of cells that form our body. Genetics says that... Anyway, I'll I'll stop there. I'll get carried away here. Let, let me just go back to the similarity in our, in our, in our DNA, right? Um, and, and the whole thing about 95% common DNA with chimp, chimpanzees, right? So if I, for example, let me illustrate by comparing two, uh, the, the following sentences. If I say, for example, the boy is very fit... compared to the boy's very fat. Right? What's the difference? In, as you look at that, as you look at that, there is only one letter that's a difference. So there is a 94% homology. But the meaning is very different. Now, you can have a fat boy who is very fit. But... There's a problem. Anyway, let's not go there. I've offended enough people. You have almost opposite meanings. If we can do this this with meaning in simple sentences, how much more is it possible when considering the complexity of the human body? Man's life is not derived by evolution or from evolution, from any animal or any lower hominid, as even theistic evolutionists affirm, or just a monkey that got lucky. But is a direct gift, a direct intervention, a direct act of special creation from God. And there is a great gulf therefore, called the image of God that is fixed between Adam and Eve and all the other creatures and all the other acts of God's creation. And only you and I carry this stamp, this image of God in our lives. Man, therefore, is fearfully and wonderfully made the most excellent of all of God's works. So now let's look at some ways ways that the image of God is taught in the Bible and displayed in humanity. First of all, a very special body. A very special body. Although God is spirit, John 4.24 says this, and does not have a body like a man, When he appeared visibly to men in the Old Testament, he did so in the form of a human body. For example, uh, Genesis chapter 18, when God appears to Abraham, was was it an angel or was it a pre incarnate Christ that appeared to Abraham? In the same way, in the book of Daniel, when the, the fourth person appears in the in the fire, in the fireplace, in the oven. Many say that this is a a form of the pre-incarnate Christ. 
And of course, when, Joe, when, when God chose to manifest himself in human form, he had this in mind. When he became incarnate in the flesh, incarnate in flesh. God knew that one day his son will be incarnated or made in the likeness of men. So he designed our bodies. I like to use the picture of a Ferrari. He says, I'm going to make a Ferrari because one day I want to drive this thing. That's what he did when created us as human beings. This is a body that he will feel comfortable in. He wouldn't have felt comfortable in a horse or a, or a donkey or chimpanzee. He came incarnate, born from Mary and the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.7 says, He was made in the likeness of men. So God made man in the form in which he wished to reveal himself. Let's think about this a little bit deeper. God designed the human body, not like the animals walking on all fours, but in an upright posture. The eyes are looking up, a face capable of facial expression, with so many muscles in the face. I look at my dog and hasn't got she hasn't got all those that many facial expressions. You can tell when she's angry and, and when she's happy or sad, it's just and then <laughs> all right. Apart from that, um, you know, that, that expression, question, you know, that smiling. I know when the, she's smiling because her tail's wagging. That's a smile, right? <laughs> Apart from that, you know, it, it's, it's very limited. Just think about the beauty of us as human beings. Moreover, um, we're gifted with the capacity to articulate thoughts and communicate with speech, intelligent speech. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So this body is not only the one that Jesus chose to incarnate himself in, but this body is now the one that is the temple of the Holy Spirit once you give your life to Jesus Christ. And this is the body by which we glorify God. And one day this body will be glorified for all eternity when he returns. What else can we learn about the Imago Dei, the image of God? In our intellect, in our intellect, I know that in some 
human beings. This is questionable. But God gave man an intellectual ability far superior, far, far superior to that of an animal. This man was given a mind capable of hearing and understanding God's communication with him, communicating with God. Man was equipped to do God's work on earth as his co-regent, his representative, and govern creation in cooperation, in cooperation with his creator. To rule over the earth. Man's intellectual capacity is seen in his marvellous ability to, to make things. And I say to make things because we cannot create. Even when our musicians get together and say, well, let's, let's, create, let's create a song. They cannot create a song. They're simply using instruments. They are putting music together. They're putting words together. They're organizing tunes in a way. But they didn't in, in, they're organizing and putting it together. They are making something, same as a painter. Painter doesn't create a painting, he's using a paint and organizing those colours, those that picture, that face, that landscape, in a way that we are able to admire. They're making something, not creating. There's only one creator, and that's God. We're able to compose music. We are able to appreciate beauty. We're able to paint pictures, to write, to write poems, to do mathematics, to do experiments in science and, and play around with the nature that God has given us. We're able to control and use energy for our own benefit, like electricity. We're able to organize, to plan. We're able to use logic and reason to make decisions, to be self-conscious, to laugh, to cry, and to think abstractly and, and wanting to learn more and more, that hunger to, to learn. All this behavior is not by instinct like the animals, but included in the Imago Dei, the image of God. Also, in our moral consciousness, out of all of God's creatures, only man has a spirit of God consciousness, all God consciousness. There is in each of us the ability to know God and the God-shaped vacuum that makes us want to know him more and more. He is the one, according to Ecclesiastes, who has put eternity in our hearts. There, there, Anthropologists have yet to find a tribe out there who is atheist or agnostic. Every person who have, they might not even have come into contact with, with white people or anything else like that, but they know because God has put this hunger to know God. I'm not, I'm not saying they're Christians. I'm saying that they, they, they worship the spirit world because they know that there is something else out there 
they are drawn to. We have emotions capable of responding to God in love and devotion. And a will which enables man to choose what is right and what is, what is wrong, to, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Only man has a capacity for knowing God and have spiritual communion with Him through prayer, through praise, through worship. In the garden, before the fall, the act of creation, man was made innocent and holy. Otherwise, Adam could not have had communion with God, who cannot look upon iniquity, the Bible tells us, according to Habakkuk. Further confirmed in verse, by verse 31, that when God affirmed that all he had made, including man, was not just good, it was very good. Which would not have been true if man had made, if God had made man morally imperfect. He would not have said that. Obviously the fall would severely impact this aspect with a, with a moral awareness or conscience which would forever infect our being when we got to know sin and what that was, the consequences of it. What else can we say about the image of God in our individuality? The Bible tells us that our God is one. It is, it is the image of God that each of us have, that we have this ability to know God in a personal way. Our individuality. When he created us in his image, He didn't make us clones of himself, but as individuals with a personality. Currently there are over seven and a half billion people on this planet and no one is like you. Each of us are uniquely made with our own DNA, with our own fingerprint, our own temperament. There are no clones, no carbon copies. At conception, we take our mother's and our father's genes, yet something new emerges. It emerges from them, but different. People might say, look at me and say, you look just like your father. Well, I might look like him. And others will say, you look just like your mother. Well, there's a disagreement there. Or it's either my father or my father. I actually come from both. But I'm actually uniquely me. This is why when women say, this is my body, it's not actually you because the baby you have inside has already have a different DNA to yours. The relic can trace it with similarities, but it's already a new, new DNA. That's the beauty of life. Every person is uniquely created by God. And this is a gift of God. I've been given freedoms, choices, responsibilities. And because of this, I am also accountable for my actions. I cannot blame my mother, my father, 
my pastor, my church, society, every person that sins will be accountable to God for his or her own sins. We are also creating the image of God in our social interaction. God's social nature is already seen in the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. In a similar way, God, who is love, created man with a social nature and the need for love. Later on in chapter 3, we will see how, uh, the description of how God was, was walking in the garden, which suggests that Adam and Eve enjoyed fellowship and communion with God, perhaps on a daily basis. The church, what we have here is a fellowship of God's children who in, in coming together form part, become the expression of God's intention for fellowship. God also provided for human fellowship and love in a very special and intimate way. Before he created Eve, God said, it is not good. Everything else was good, was very good. It is not good for the man to be alone. And therefore Jesus used this debate in, in his debate to, with the Pharisees to uphold the sanctity of marriage and intimacy of love within the marriage. This, this whole need, our social interaction is so important. When God gives us the gift of, of, of having children, when children are born, uh, they've done a lot of experiments over, over the years and, and some of them are quite unethical. There's one experiment called the Forbidden Experiment which was done in the US 1944. Forty infants, newborns, were placed in, a, in an environment where 20 of them were cared for. They, all 40 of them were cared for, they were cleaned and all of that. But 20 of them were not given social contact. There was no communication. There was no verbalising with these newborns. There was no touch apart from the cleaning, apart from the feeding. Within four months, half of those 20 kids, 10 kids had already perished. There was no explanation. They were healthy. Otherwise, everything was fine. Just think about how horrible these experiments were. That's why they call it a forbidden experiment. I think Prince Frederick, uh, King Frederick, uh, a couple of centuries ago tried the same thing. With the other 20 kids, they grew just fine. It just proved the point of this, the, the, the wonder of how God has made us with the need for, for touch and affection. In sanctity, next point, point six, in sanctity and dignity. Human dignity is a gift from God and is never lost. Even after the fall, human dignity is still there. It has been marred, but it's still there. The person you love is made in God's image. The person you mistreat, the person you might even hate, is also made in God's image. Male and female are both created in God's image. 
It is the image of God that imparts true significance to every individual wholly apart from our circumstances, the colour of our skin, the level of our education, our intellectual capacity, our economic level. That's not how the world judges significance. The world tends to classify people according to their status, according to the titles on their wall and according to the family that they were born in, whether they're royalty or whether they're just from, you know, from the poor. In God's eyes, there's no difference. Christians, therefore, are to look at people differently. It's a challenge, I know. We know that each person, each person has worth and value because he or she is made in the image of God. C.S. Lewis, he said once, he said, You're never, you will never meet a mere mortal and you never will. In God's eyes, there are no, in God's eyes, there are no little people. If all people are made in the image of God, then they can also, if they are far from God, they need to hear the gospel. They need, he wants them to be saved, to have communion, a restored communion with them. There is therefore no person who is beyond the reach of God's grace. This truth is therefore foundational for how in Western society especially we have we have fought for human freedom, for democracy, for human rights, with the writing of constitutions based on the scriptures and the Magna Carta and all of, all of the, the, the dignity of, of human beings are based upon God's word. Because we, we value life. It was through Christians that this truth was made a difference in the way that we have set up society. Yet now, we seem to be rejecting our foundations. We are becoming a lot more utilitarian. You're only worth to society what you can contribute. Therefore, if you're old and you can't contribute anymore, let's just, you know, here's a pill, euthanasia, away you go. A baby in the womb who's discovered to be malformed or with certain defects. No, we can't have that. Abortion, you go. Utilitarian society. You're only worth as much as you're able to contribute to the rest. Well, therefore, you have no dignity. You're worthless. Imagine if God treated us like that. Male and female. Male and female. So God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the the first poem in the scriptures which highlights, and it's therefore no accident that he, because he highlights a tremendous truth. Three times this verse uses the word created. 
emphasizing the uniqueness of what God was doing in creating us as male and female. And here is the pattern of humans created in God's image as male and female. I need to repeat that because it seems to be lost today. It is interesting that evolutionists have no explanation, even if you happen to believe that we, we've come from the, the, the scum of the earth and, and, and from some, some pond or whatever that lightning hit it and suddenly started crawling and became higher life forms and whatever, and voila, here we are. Trillions of years later, here we are. They cannot explain... They cannot explain. They have, and the, and by, by the way, Darwin's origin of the species doesn't actually talk about origins. Funny that, because there's no explanation. They can't explain it. They talk about the species, but they don't talk about the origins. There's no, in, in, in evolution, there's no explanation for the, the separation of the sexes, male and female, which are essential for the whole aspect of reproduction, Right? Even plants, they need to be, this is what the job of the bees, right? It's interesting that all these things are suppressed. I don't want people to know about it. However, for us, we believe that sex is the product of an intelligent creator that human sexuality is a gift from God. So let us be clear, let us hold firm to this truth that sex was God's idea in the beginning. He thought of it first. He made us different so that our differences would attract us to each other. And he gave us this gift the gift of intimacy within marriage to be protected. There is to be no fornication, adultery, polygamy, homosexuality. In God's plan, marriage consists of one man, one woman, not two men, not two women together. God's plan from the very beginning, one man, one woman. Now, I've got a car, as you know, my little green frog that they had Siri on, 1.3 litres, twin turbo. No, it's just, just... But I could say that. My car wishes to be a twin turbo. My car wishes to be a Ferrari. So my car spoke to me one day and says, look, I, I really want to myself... Just get a a Ferrari badge and put it on me, please, because I want to be a Ferrari. And and, and, and many pronouns to go with that. Um, I don't know if it's a he or a she yet. I haven't quite gotten there. And I put that car, I put the tag on it, I put it on Marketplace and I sell Ferrari for sale. Do you think, if you're here and you want to buy that car, I need to talk to you. Because I've got a deal for you, right? I'm sure we can talk something out. If that's 
It's not a discussion about a vehicle, a, a thing. How much more serious is the discussion, how much more ludicrous, stupid the discussion comes when it comes to human beings, male and female? Just because you change your tag doesn't change your genetics, your DNA, your chromosomes. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Final implication as we wrap this up. And this is, this is beautiful. When God created the vegetation and the animals, he made them after its or their kind. That was their pronouns, their kind. Yet when God created Adam, he made him after God kind. That's what in his image means, after God kind. In the image and the likeness of God. Yes, after the fall, many aspects of God's image uh, were tarnished. Nevertheless, these aspects were perfect once again in the, the last Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was and is the image of the invisible God. And he, through him, by submitting to him, by believing in him and his sacrifice, we are being renewed, transformed, recreated into the image of God by the gospel. This is not something natural that man can simply bring upon himself by working himself up for it. It is the gift of God through faith and repentance. It is accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit It is accomplished because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and in the heart of every believer. What a wonderful truth we have of the way that God has fearfully and wonderfully made us. Amen.